This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated books and comic show here on trek fm i'm your host matthew rushing and with me as he is always now is dan gunther dan how's it going hi matthew i'm uh, not too bad um pretty excited to uh, be here again and to talk about the book we're going to be talking about yeah, we're going to talk about The Collectors by Christopher L. Bennett, everyone. So um, we are going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert here at the very beginning of the show when we get to our um, feature section there. We're going to we're gonna talk about all sorts of things in the book. So if you haven't read it yet, just go ahead and pick it up ebook-wise because it's really, I mean, you can read it in a one sitting. It's fantastic. And uh, that way you can actually enjoy the conversation Dan and I are going to have because there are some things in there that we would definitely spoil rotten. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Absolutely. So, Dan, we're uh, here right before the holidays. Um, doing anything special uh, for the holiday season there with uh, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, all those things coming up? Nothing too uh, elaborate. Going to be spending the holidays with my family, uh, my parents, and um, back here in my hometown of Grand Prairie, Alberta, far up north. Oh, so pretty a snow, eh? Yeah, lots of snow, eh? It's just totally snowing like crazy. <laughs> oh, you're going to have a white Christmas. <laughs> yeah, certainly looks that way. Actually, kind of more of an icy Christmas lately, but... Oh, yeah. I do not enjoy ice. I grew up in Dallas, and, um, you know, we would get more ice than snow, and it's really dangerous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then living, yeah, living in Minnesota had lots of snow and and no ice so i i really like driving on on snow it's it's not that big a deal but driving on ice is just it's almost impossible so yeah, we definitely get our fair share of both up here <laughs> yeah i bet well we'll jump into our new segment today not too much going on but a couple of things we wanted to mention there for the holidays and uh, things we don't want you to miss and one of the most exciting things is the q gambit series that's been going on with the ongoing comics the penultimate issue is out uh, it came out today dropped today as we're recording so make sure you pick that up um one of the things dan and i'll do i think what we'll do is we'll just wait and talk about the entire series all together as an actual feature of a show. Uh, Chris and I had been talking about them, Dan, there, and uh, realized kind of breaking it up, we cut, you kind of lose some of the stories. So mm-hmm. I felt like it might be fun for us to talk through as an entire series and really judge it that way. And I know you appreciate Deep Space Nine a lot, too, Absolutely. so that'll be a lot <laughs> of fun. Yeah. What else have we got for everyone here? Well, uh, towards the end of the month, um, the missing... The new Deep Space Nine book by Una McCormick will be coming out. Now, Matthew, I'm really excited about this one uh, because obviously it's a new Deep Space Nine novel. Uh, the first one we've gotten in quite some time. We did have the ebook, uh, Lust's Latinum Lost and Found, but this is the first yes. actual printed book coming out with under the Deep Space Nine title in quite some time. This is so exciting. I mean, so we're going to get this book here, and then we're going to get David R. George III's novel next year as well. So Deep Space Nine, in some ways, making a comeback here, and I'm really excited uh, for that because um, 
You know, as we've said many times in Literary Treks, I don't know if it hadn't been for the Deep Space Nine relaunch being so successful, if the books uh, would have maybe taken off the way they have with so many people. And um, I'm really excited. I, I love the fact that uh, hearing on the Babel Conference and now in our Goodreads section there, uh, our group, a lot of people picking up the Deep Space Nine series and, and rereading it. And mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to continue that with you as well next year as we'll continue with Cathedral uh, because it's such a great series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, thinking back on it, I think when the Deep Space Nine relaunch was first published was kind of kind of my reintroduction to Star Trek novels. Uh, I had read a few off and on over the years before that, but that was really the first time that I started having to pick up every book and following the ongoing story. And it's really uh, done a lot to get me reading the novels and obviously to where I'm reading every novel that comes out now. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you because, you know, before that we had gotten like, uh, you know, Shadows in the Sun and and Federation and Prime Directive and those kind of books. And those are the ones that I really read. I didn't really read the numbered series books. And then, you know, this was the first time that they were actually continuing a series. And it's funny because I don't know if you've heard uh, Larry Nemechek's Trekland speaker. Number three is with the Deep Space Nine crew hmm. um as the, the and i mean like um i received bear right. and all those guys talking right after uh they had finished working on the finale and it's in post-production and ira even says somebody may continue this in books oh that's amazing <laughs> yeah so he definitely called it so i think it's really cool that it actually happened and really, I think, in a lot of ways, has kept the fire of of Star Trek alive for a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm excited more and more fans to find the novels because, you know, unlike the Star Wars expanded universe, right now, at least for the Prime universe, this is as much canon as you're ever going to get, you know. Um, And uh, the nice thing about what they've been doing is they have free reign pretty much. You know, uh, they have to worry about what CBS might say about certain things. But on a whole, the the writers really do a fantastic job. And when you've got writers like Una McCormick, who wrote, you know, um, The Crimson Shadow last year, which I felt was just a great book. Not just sci-fi or Star Trek. I mean... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm super excited for her to be back with you, Susan. I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, maybe we'll get a little cameo with Garrick in there. Oh, which, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and knowing Una, it's probably going to happen. Yeah, nobody so. writes Garrick like Una McCormick. No, Except no, maybe so. Andrew Robinson himself. <laughs> That's true. Actually, yeah, I was about to say, a stitch in time, uh, probably close there, but... Um, yeah, I'm very excited about this. It'll be coming out. Um, you'll be able to pick it up December 30th. You may be able to obviously find it in bookstores a little bit earlier, but that's when it would be officially released, and it would be released to all those of us who get it in ebook format, which I already have it pre-ordered, <laughs> waiting for it to download to my uh, iPad. So, yeah, for sure. I wanted to wish everybody, and, and Dan and I, we just wanted to wish everybody a happy holidays. Um, we actually are going to have to wrap up uh, Literary Treks for this year, and I just want to say thank you so much for, for sticking with us. I know that at the end of the year, it's gotten a little bit hairy, and we haven't had as many shows out, but Dan and I are very excited about what's going to be coming up in the new year. We've already got some things planned, talking with some authors to get them on um, already. We're uh, excited about some comic series that we want to talk about as well with maybe uh, the guys from Standard Orbit, things like that. So we wanted to wish you a very happy holidays, um, whichever holiday you celebrate. Uh, maybe if you don't celebrate a holiday, I hope you enjoy the time off work. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, and this is a great time. Send us a voicemail. Give us a contact on the on our contact forum there. Uh, give us a tweet. Goodreads. We've got the new group there. Um, you know, Give us some ideas of what you'd like to hear us talk about on Literary Treks or even the Babel Conference. Just uh, get us a quick note there. So, And it would be fun. I was thinking, Dan, if we got enough voicemails about maybe what fans liked, we could maybe take those voicemails and actually use them on the show. Oh, so that'd who be knows? really cool, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. And we're very excited to be continuing this mission of bringing you the best books and comics coverage 
on podcasting that we possibly can. And so we really do appreciate it. Before we head into our feature, I just wanted to remind everybody about our sponsor, Audible, who is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming out each week. One of the great things is you can get classics, current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek works. Now, they don't have brand new Star Trek books because those don't get put into audiobooks anymore, but we've got things like Prime Directive or Federation, Spock's World, all of those great books that you could even get Shatnerverse novels as well. Uh, so Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get that free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classics. And even if you don't stay with Audible, you get to keep your book for free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the network. Well, Dan, I am really excited. When I first saw that this book was coming out, which is Department of Temporal Investigations, The Collectors, um, was going to be an ebook novella, I was very excited. You know, Christopher L. Bennett has already written two very, very good books and very dense books as well. Mm -hmm. And what did you think of those two? Before we kind of get into that, I'd just kind of love to hear your thoughts on his original two novels with the Department of Temporal Investigations. Well, the first novel, uh, Watching the Clock, um, I can't remember exactly the timing of it, but it was announced, I think, either very shortly before or very shortly after I started my whole Treklet blog. And I remember really looking forward to being able to review that one because I thought the premise was incredibly exciting and uh it delivered i love that novel i think i've lent it to about four or five different people somebody actually still has it at the moment i i (laughs) kind of love it back but whatever yeah hey uh if you're listening dan wants his book back whoever you are (laughs) and you know who you are i think he does (laughs) but uh no i i absolutely love that book and i remember when it came out um Christopher Bennett had said kind of, you know, no promises about a follow-up. He didn't have anything necessarily in mind. It was kind of a one-off. So, you know, incredibly excited when the second one was announced, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just remember really enjoying those books and the way that they were linking all of the different time travel incidences Mm -hmm. and then putting that together with the temporal cold war and all those kind of things and making it make sense and i mean as a star trek novel for both of them very dense Mm -hmm. you know you have to read very carefully so you can catch everything so a really well done and i can't imagine what kind of workflow chart he must have to try and keep (laughs) all of that straight absolutely yeah (laughs) so this one is is uh was announced and um it deals with agents Luxley and Dolmer again, and uh, this time they're being challenged by a 31st century temporal agent who insists that they surrender this mysterious artifact that they've taken in possession. And before they know it, they are pulled into this corrupted future, torn apart by a violent temporal war. And, uh, and it's basically just one adventure after another that they kind of keep getting pulled into deeper and deeper into the uptime, as they call it. <laughs> so one of the things, Dan, I, I liked that you put together here, we have seen two novels now with the Department of Temporal Investigations. How do you feel this worked then as an e-novella? Because like as we said, those are really dense novels. Uh, how did you think this worked with a shorter you know, uh, page count and then obviously not being able to go into so much detail? Uh, I think it worked quite well. Um, a lot of these e-novellas I've said in the past feel a lot like uh, episodes of the television show. And in a lot of ways, I could see this as an episode of kind of a police procedural Department of Temporal Investigations television show um again the other two books kind of like you said they're quite dense and full of a lot of uh, information and the first book tied together all of the different time travel things we've seen throughout the series and the second book was a huge sprawling adventure that dealt with kirk in the 23rd century and stuff 
And this e-novel is a little different in that it's kind of a wholly original adventure with just the DTI guys uh, and their counterparts. And in that way, I thought the format was perfect. You know, it told the story that it wanted to tell uh, in a very short, kind of concise manner. And I loved it from cover to cover. Virtual cover to cover, I suppose. Yeah, (laughs) I think you're right. I could totally imagine this being like Star Trek, DTI. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. You know, Uh, would work really, really well, Uh, especially with those two guys playing it. (laughs) The guys from Deep Space Nine, the way they did it was just perfect. Oh, man. Um, And even though they were only on screen (laughs) for you know, two minutes and however many seconds I think Christopher Bennett has said, uh, he nails their voices perfectly. Oh yeah. He just oh my gosh. gets the essence of those characters down pat. It It is really good. It is amazing that, you know, characters that were probably on the screen, what, uh, maybe 10 minutes at most mm-hmm. in that Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations, uh, really do become a dynamic duo that you really enjoy reading about you you just wouldn't think that and i think that speaks to what he did in those first two novels to really build those characters and all the other characters that they work with even the ones from the 31st century and beyond Mm -hmm. that um everything feels really natural here because you know the characters enough that you feel really comfortable where you are and i'm with you i kind of think you know, we could do this as maybe just an ebook series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had mentioned uh, on our outline just, you know, we had the Corps of Engineers series. Maybe it would be great if, if Christopher Bennett just got to continue this series maybe once or twice a year Absolutely. with ebooks. Yeah, no, I, I think it fits the format perfectly. Uh, I think kind of a full size novel uh, with this premise. You know, there's probably not too many that you'd want to do. Maybe you'd stretch it a little thin. But something like a, an ebook novella, like you said, once or twice a year, I think that would be perfect. Yeah, I, I really think, too, at this point, uh, when you're doing those e novellas as well, you really get the opportunity to pinpoint exactly what you want to do with the story and just tell that story instead of feeling like you have to add other things to fill word count to to hit you know the novel size Mm -hmm. and here by it being tight you know you get to rein in some of those things um and i thought that's a really good idea um and i think again just works so well with this type of story especially since with time travel you have all of time and space (laughs) to play with now i know what the you know doctor who writers must feel like when they realize exactly what they're writing and how they're writing i mean they have their own <laughs> rules but i mean you can do just about anything you want to do yeah um so with a novel uh, the same thing except uh here you're not limited by any kind of budget mm-hmm. not to mention that <laughs> like in that first novel you know they had janeway and other characters uh from the wider trek come in and uh, the second novel had Kirk and his crew. Um, I, I don't feel like you could get away with having a novel with no, you know, screen crew at all and just the DTI guys. But with an ebook novella, you can totally do that. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, as being a fan, I definitely would read it, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but I think for the wider track, it is definitely harder because you need to be able to put somebody's picture on the cover yeah and just a, get a those lot of the time anchor points yeah you know to yeah bring in the so fans. it's definitely a hard thing but uh hopefully this will continue i i really want to see christopher l bennett uh, write more of these and and especially in this ebook format i think works really really well so for sure um yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I love the illusion here, the idea like there's always a bigger fish, which always brings me back to the Phantom Menace where they're, you know, going through and there literally is a bigger fish. Oh, well, um, if it brings you back to the yeah. Phantom Menace, I apologize. No, that's okay. <laughs> I don't I don't mind the Phantom Menace. It's it's uh I I like the prequels, so I'm cool with it. But uh <laughs> the it was really funny to watch you know, they have their um Gina, their their 
31st century foe, and I say that in air quotes because she's not really a foe, but she she can be tough for them to work with sometimes kind of because she foil, knows. Yeah. yeah, more of a foil. There you go. And it was so awesome to watch those characters, you know, as they move up time, they quickly become, you know, just out of sync. Mm-hmm. You know, there's they are used to having the upper hand and then, you know, you go so far up the timeline there's you've got nothing absolutely yeah and and the fact that the 31st century agent you know is so much more advanced than our guys but you know by the time they get millions of years in the future you know she's completely outclassed so it was interesting to see that dynamic (laughs) and coming up with all of the technology has got to be fun because i mean at this point you're just kind of it's really science fiction Mm -hmm. you know you're just making things up and you're kind of working on almost a fantasy level at that point too i liked you you catch the vortex manipulator in there from doctor who (laughs) yeah i did Uh, that was excellent (laughs) yeah so that was nice um but then like you know gina she's got those pouches on the side that are basically like hermione's bag from (laughs) harry potter you know where she can put as much as she wants in there because she has an extending charm, even though it <laughs> makes it as light as possible. So she can pull anything out there. I like how Dolmore is like, she either has, you know, an extra dimensional pouch or a micro um, replicator. Yeah. On, yeah, I was like, either one honestly would probably work for the 31st century. Yeah, that was brilliant. So, um, I also really enjoyed uh, the fight scenes. First, we get them from her perspective, uh, where she's kind of talking about everything that's going on. And I have to admit, I kind of got a little lost there, kind of following what was going on. Um, and then you mean, especially when the two Genas are going at yeah. it, and they she he kind of stops calling them by names that are like he starts <laughs> off by you know putting pulling them apart by certain names but then he kind of stops doing that and you're like i don't know which one is which <laughs> maybe that was on purpose i don't know i feel like it was and then uh later we get you know kind of a similar fight uh from the perspective of one of the of the two agents that we're familiar with and i loved from his perspective he watched it for a few seconds and then threw up his hands and said i don't know what's going on and kind of looked away <laughs> because it was distressing him yeah um I, I think that it's it was really cool because, you know, they mentioned earlier about somebody going back with all this technology into the 20th century and being a superhero. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I was watching, when I was reading it, it's kind of like watching like an episode of Flash oh, yeah. or, you know, with a Superman type or super, you know, girl type character where, you know, she can go at super speed so it slows everybody down or mm-hmm. all of those kind of things. It was very, very cool. I mean, I just felt like you were almost in that kind of comic book genre at this point, which was a lot of fun. And I think really added to the tone and the lightness of the tone in this novel. I mean, obviously we're dealing with time and space and it can collapse if they make a mistake. You know, it can collapse a timeline. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, I don't know. I don't I don't know. Did you ever feel like the that? the world like the universe was in jeopardy because i just was having so much fun i wasn't really paying attention to how much jeopardy the universe was probably in <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how i felt too i kind of felt uh and and i think this kind of fits in with the style that he was going for like the two agents i kind of just felt like i was taken along for the ride uh which i thought was great and it was really cool that that was the perspective we got in the novel too because you know the two guys they do you know they help out and they do their thing but for the most part, they're kind of just along for the ride, and I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, and it brings up the whole other point of like, you thought of, I think this is great, you know, the future just ain't what it used to be. And the fact that like, when you get so far down the road, like millions of years, it doesn't really seem all that exciting, mm-hmm. you know, because we've seen in Star Trek certain alien races have, have transcended to a non corporeal form. And they usually seem so alien. They're always, especially in TOS, uh, we'll come back when you're more advanced because right now you're pretty boring. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they kind of, it, it seems like they've lost something mm-hmm. uh, of what it means to be 
I guess, alive or, you know. So uh, I thought that was a really interesting thing to see. Okay, we're millions of years in the future and the future doesn't look all that exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like things are the same even though you're so far in the future that like there's the kind of the same um, same fallacies, same missteps that we make and that kind of thing. The uh, the collectors, when we eventually meet them, um, we kind of find that their philosophy might be a little lacking and even the humans or semi-humans from way in the past are kind of able to teach them something or make them see things from a perspective they hadn't considered which i thought was really interesting because you expect that in the future things are going to be better or you know everything kind of improves and you know that doesn't always seem to be the case well, and I, that really brings in that whole idea that, you know, just because it's in the future doesn't necessarily make it better. Right. You know, just because it's advanced, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, and advancement just for advancement's sake isn't necessarily the best thing. Right. Um, and that uh, that was one of the things I thought was really interesting is this novel deals with that a lot, mm-hmm. you know, that idea. Um, and so it was really interesting. You have the collectors who a lot of the species around the galaxy in this multiverse that they're kind of a part of because they're so advanced, a lot of it is starting to empty out because these beings are becoming non-corporeal and they're lost in, in some ways in this sense of... but we like being corporeal. We like having physical form and, and we want to preserve now what has happened in the past. So they've been bringing all of these things and all of these, um, peoples really. And all of this stuff from the past, they've been collecting them and putting them on. Basically it's not a Dyson sphere. It's like a Dyson, you know, yeah. uh, disc, Basically, kind of a ring orbiting, uh, orbiting yeah, a star. Yeah, a huge ring orbiting a star. So it's about the size of a Dyson sphere, except it's just a ring. Mm-hmm. And they have placed different habitats there. And it's almost like the Jurassic Park of the billionth century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they have, you know, they've got dinosaurs and then they've got, you know, uh, cave type people from a certain. Um, other star system they've got all sorts of different things that have gone extinct that they've gone back and collected because they want uh, to preserve something from you know the past and they want to have that connection with what it means to be a corporeal being and it's just a really interesting concept i thought Mm -hmm. Uh, makes you think a lot so yeah their philosophy of kind of uh saving all these extinct species, like every species that's gone extinct throughout the galaxy, I'm thinking, uh, it was really, um, really interesting. And kind of, if you think about, you know, how huge a task that would be, you know, what would this look like when all was said and done kind of thing? Well, and then what's really funny, uh, they end up with the problem of their, they're actually challenged okay what happens when you've done all this and then you know you've even moved them to planets and things start to evolve and then maybe the planet orbit changes or those kind of things happen how do you keep this sustainable Mm -hmm. and you know um you're you're bringing things from another time and the whole cycle is just starting over again it's like that whole BSG thing about Star Galactica, what's happened before will happen again, right. you know, like they're almost completing that circle. And, and I thought that was really interesting as well, because from a time standpoint, everything entropies, right. you know, that's just, uh, that's just the way of things. Like mm. everything ends. Um, and uh, I mean, to the next generation taught us anything is that all good things must come to an end except unless you go to the movies and then we just continue <laughs> with captain kirk 
<laughs> well, I, I really found myself wondering, like, how are they defining, you know, the different species and that sort of thing? Like, if you take all of Earth's history and just Earth, you know, like, how much difference is there between one species and the next, you know, when they've evolved? You know, are you are you grabbing species every, you know, 100,000 years or like what, you know? how are they defining that and how much space would this all take up when all was said and done? Well, and then they, they, it was really interesting because they're talking about how their time is kind of emptying the galaxy. The galaxies are emptying because people at this point really are evolving to non-corporeal beings. And so there's a lot of space, Mm -hmm. but still you're going to end up with running out of space. If you keep doing this through all time and space and through different timelines, I mean, it's just, yeah, the, the the idea of how far it goes is just astronomical. And, and that really kind of brings us to that whole idea is that like, when is it time to just let things go mm-hmm. and to change and um, really brings us to this, you know, if you're preserving the past, how do you move on to the future? And the questions of, well, how do we know when to let certain things go and when to hold on to certain things? Mm-hmm. And, you kind of end up with a worldview clash then at that point too because certain people believe that certain things should never be let go and some people kind of believe that all things are in flux and and so it's it's a really big question and uh, there isn't really a great i don't know answer because i guess it's the human condition absolutely to struggle with change and how to deal with it and i kind of loved that it was uh um that it was Luxley who kind of had that little bit of a speech about, you know, things have to change and move on and grow because he was always the one that, you know, there's a perfect unadulterated timeline and we have to do everything we can to try and preserve it the way it is. And to have him kind of make that um, leap that things have to evolve and change and grow and are more fluid than sometimes he would like them to be, I thought was a really great touchstone for his character. Yeah, uh, I thought that he really did a great job of bringing that to Luxley, kind of giving that that organic growth to the point where he realizes there is a time for change. I mean, it's funny, It's there's a, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die, <laughs> you know, um, going back to the, the old verse there from, from Ecclesiastes mm. or the song from the birds, uh, who they just ripped off, uh, <laughs> King Solomon. So. An homage. Um, yeah, it, there you go. An homage. Um, well, and it was really interesting because it does bring up that question. Okay. When is new better? And when is it just new? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we determine, how do we make that judgment of when things come out and, and when is it actually better and time to move forward and when is it not? You know, that's, and that crosses through every spectrum of life, mm-hmm. you know, from the technology we use to, um, you know, the decisions that we make in our families to, I mean, just all sorts of things. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. So, is genetically engineered food better than natural food? And how do we know? And yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, just uh, when you start to think through all the questions, there's just a lot. Yeah. And it, and it really is a fundamental thing that we all deal with every day. I think change is kind of what change versus, I don't want to say complacency or stagnancy because those kind of have negative connotations, but, um, I don't know, change versus constancy or, yeah, it's it's kind of a very big question. You know, sometimes too, you know, history and tradition teach us many things, you know, and, and the famous saying, if you're always doomed to repeat the past, it's those who don't learn from history. Absolutely. And I, I think that that really holds a lot of water in this whole conversation of, you know, when is new better and when is it just new? And um, I think if anything, history does teach us to be a little bit more like Luxley, which is to be cautious about big, grav- you know, gravitational changes mm-hmm. in, in life. And um, at the same time, you know, if Star Trek teaches anything, uh, good literature teaches us anything, and just even the lives of people we've known 
or or seen in history, risk as well. Big risk is also a part of life. So it's the wisdom to know when to take those big risks and to realize as well too that just because you fail doesn't always mean it was the worst thing ever for you to do because sometimes we as humans just need to learn. Right. Uh, and the best way to learn is to make some mistakes. Uh, and, and and that's a really big conversation that we end up having too between Teresa and Ranjaya and then even Dolmer and Luxley are having as well about this idea of using this time technology that they have there in the vault, you know, and why do we just hide it away and never study it and figure out a way to use it. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to watch Chris Revel Bennett use that kind of altered, kind of bastardized timeline, if you can say that, to show the dangers of using the technology in the wrong way. Right. The temporal intervention agency as opposed to the, you know, temporal integrity or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting because the the real big issue becomes then i think the power that you hold in your hands and it's hard for i think any at least we see in star trek and any being to have that much power and really know what to do with it i mean look at q i mean he has all these powers and yet he's bored and so he just starts messing with things all over the place because he doesn't care Mm -hmm. you know um and so i think that I really like this. I this book has some huge questions in it, um, and you know, in a world that is just flooded with technology everywhere, you know, um, I think it's a it's a big question, and it's one that's really important for us to be asking: of okay, how do we use this technology? How do we use it wisely? And when do we notice to put it down, Mm -hmm. you know, and interact um, with those around us? Yeah. I mean, and and it's easy to say something like, uh, you know, it's the Federation. They're the good guys. They'll use it responsibly. But then, like you said, we saw this other timeline where the Federation was actively seeking out threats to their timeline and ending them before they became a problem. And, you know, that's not that's not right. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, and jumping to just a completely different thing now. (laughs) So did you realize that this book, we were going to get to visit Jurassic World? I I did not. I have to admit, I did not see that coming. Um, Yeah. What was your, what's your favorite dinosaur Jurassic World in this book? (laughs) Well, I think, uh, well, without a doubt, it's got to be the, uh, what somebody on the Trek BBS message board called the B-Rex which would be the, uh, believe it or not, Borgified Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, wow. <laughs> that was... <laughs> I I don't know if you consider that jumping the dinosaur, since, you know, it... Um, but that moment, it was just... I kind of facepalmed and laughed <laughs> at the same time. Um, I don't know. What did you make of that whole scene? I have to admit, I was... As soon as I saw where... Uh, Christopher Bennett was going with this I was rolling on the floor laughing I it in some ways maybe over the top but I personally think he pulled it off and I was killing myself laughing I thought it was great yeah um it, <laughs> it was the one reason I couldn't get the book a five-star rating uh, I had to give it a four-star rating but that doesn't mean it wasn't funny. And again, <laughs> I really think that just the fact that he went so big and so crazy speaks to just the tone of the book and mm-hmm. how well I think it, it it came off to me. Because I really do think, I think that this is a super fun book. And I would love to see these characters. I mean, because Dolmer's going on to a new job now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he won't be partnered with Luxley anymore. So I'm, I would love to kind of see them begin to branch off this um this team these teams and kind of create maybe some new teams bring in some new characters and create a a really fun series that you just enjoy getting to be a part of you know maybe once or twice a a year and and probably just once Mm -hmm. for what the other work that christopher l bennett's doing these days with the enterprise books which i know is probably a lot of work right 
and even these, I mean, it's a lot of imaginative work here. I mean, you're not getting to just play with normal Starfleet stuff, which, (laughs) you know, is not that hard to kind of imagine. You know, you're having to create a whole new universe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) A whole new world. (laughs) So, um, what did you think, uh, kind of lastly, I was just thinking about this. What did you think about the different timelines that we do get to, uh, you know, visit and uh, what maybe are some things that you would love to see kind of expanded or to get to visit more in those timelines? Well, I really loved the uh, 31st century uh, that we got to see. I thought it was really interesting how uh, there was, you know, so much uh, intermingling of the species and human kind of became a definition that doesn't have a whole lot of value um we saw daniels kind of talk about that in enterprise but we actually got to see it here in this uh, novella and i would love to explore that world a little bit and just see more of what day-to-day life is like in that era i thought that was really interesting it made me wonder if especially because of where dolmer and luxley have been now if they could be a little bit more involved with Gina in the 31st century, if they had to be, because they have already been there and they've already experienced a lot. Right. And so that if they did have to be a part of a a storyline that had them more involved in the 31st century, that they would still be able to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I, I don't know. Kind of, uh, I'm kind of shipping the whole <laughs> Dolmer and and Gina thing. I would love for them, him to have to kind of finally end up in the 31st century with her one day. I think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty tempted by the prospect of uh, living their lives out in that century. And I have to say, if I if I was in his position, I I wouldn't blame him at all. I think that would be a wonderful time and place to live. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because she's a human-Ocompan-Vulcan hybrid, if I'm... Was there anything else Uh, in there that I missed? Something like that, yeah. I can't think of what else might have been in there. Yeah, so just uh, on a whole, um, I I think I'm with you. I I don't think I'd say no to um, (laughs) spending the the rest of of the billionth billionth year, you know, in, in the century with her, so... Final thoughts, ratings on The Collectors for you, Dan? Well, uh, as I've said, I really loved this book. I thought it was incredible. Um, One thing that I was struck by was just reading page after page, the thought that was going through my head was, what an incredible imagination Christopher Bennett has. And I am in awe of the things that he has come up with. As far as a rating goes... I would have to say that my rating would be uh, five butterflies on Luxley's shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) That was an awesome scene. That was one of my favorite scenes as well. Very, yeah. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Um, I'm with you. I just, I I think everybody should get this book, you know, Um, and it's, it really is super fun. Now, if you haven't read, um, the Department of Temporal Investigations before. I also really encourage you to get those as well because mm-hmm. it's a series that you don't need to know anything else about the the rest of the Star Trek universe, really, for uh, the books. Um, you do need to know a lot about, obviously, Star Trek itself because Chris Trell Bennett uses all the different time travel episodes somewhere uh, in some way, and so in those two first books. But even this one, I think anybody could pick this up and really enjoy it, even if they haven't read the other two. Mm. I mean, I, I think it, it it's very uh, user friendly, reader friendly in that way. So definitely, uh, for me, I I would rate this. I think, um, hmm, I think I would probably rate this eight vortex manipulators. So. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's a good. Uh, this is, yeah, it's a it's a great book. So I mean, I could have gone with Borgified T Rexes, but I think everybody's <laughs> expecting that. 
Well, Dan, it has been a blast just getting to talk to the collectors with you today. Um, a fantastic book. But, of course, it's not the only thing that we have been talking about on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And and so I was biased against it. it even when I started buying the, the two-disc collector's edition DVDs, I avoided buying any of the even-numbered movies. Odd-numbered movies. movies. Earl Grey. Like uh, like they stated in the end of the movie, you know, they thought he'd outlive all of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's what should have happened. We should have seen Data, like, in the, you know, 26th century, like Data 5.0, whatever we call him. To the journey! You don't know if she's going to stab him or smooch him. She's going to smooch him, of course, after dessert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> After dessert. We all know what dessert means. Warp 5. Along with technology and along with trying to study the origins of a lot of different things that we've come to know in, in the original series and beyond, it's hard to try and deconstruct it without insulting what has come in all of the things that we know of being Vulcan Mind Melt. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And my thought was, in the next scene, Crusher should have the body of the dead Klingon sitting on the back of her toilet holding a candle. You know, <laughs> what she would only get to do after Lieutenant Yara's gotten to hold the dead Klingon up to her ear to see if she can hear the ocean. Commentary, Trek stars. Everything you would imagine would be in an opening title sequence for this show is in there. I think the shot that really does it for me, the shot that really pulls everything together is when he dunks the basketball. (laughs) Melodic Treks. So we do know an awful lot of people get associated with Vic Fontaine. He name drops to the nth degree about all the famous people that he engraved with. One of whom is Frank Sinatra. Axenar, the official podcast. When there's a possibility for something to be misunderstood or um, not clearly explained it can potentially open up a big hole for a show because people can end up going down a path that was actually not what somebody wanted to be done. The 602 Club. What are those Bond movies that you go back to time and time again because they just do it better? Uh, First of all, Matthew, nobody does it better. That's true. Uh, It makes Uh, me feel sad for the rest. (laughs) 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 And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. That helps us out greatly, and it really does make it easier for people to find us as they search for our show on iTunes. Also, if you do give us a rating and a star review, we'll definitely give you a mention here on the show. And that, as well, also helps people find us on iTunes. But hey, guess what? If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can just stream and download the mp3 from our website or grab the rss link as well and of course if you'd like to contact us you can do that at trek.fm slash contact as dan and i talked about earlier you can leave us a voicemail look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm you can also find us on twitter at trek.fm Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. And as Dan and I talked about earlier too, we've got our listeners discussion group there on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find all of those current goals that we have and the different milestone contribution levels along with the great perks that we have for you. These include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats in our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us because without you, we can't make this happen. And we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Also like to thank our associate producers here on the show, Will Wynn, who's on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn, and of course, in the Babel Conference. He's also the associate producer of The Orb and Earl Grey, 
and is Trek FM's content coordinator. So if you have any ideas for future shows, just send him an email at will.win at trekfm or send him a tweet. And we'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and being associate producer for Literary Treks. You can find her on Twitter at Flip18. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, Audible.com, who helps us bring Literary Treks and all of our shows to you each week. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and our network. So, Dan, where can everybody find you online? Well, Matthew, I'm uh, on Twitter at trekletreviews. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekletreviews. My website where I do reviews of Star Trek novels, both old and new, is simply www.treklet.com. And look for my review of The Collectors coming this weekend. And my reviews of new novels also get republished on trekcore.com. That's awesome, man. I love uh, checking out your reviews. Uh, Of course, you get them out sometimes faster than I've read the book, so I have to wait, (laughs) and I'm like, can't look, can't look, can't look. But, um, yeah, everybody should check those out. It's it's, Dan does a really good job, and I've really appreciated uh, being able to read his reviews over the years, especially if it's a book I haven't read Mm -hmm. because I'm like, do I want to read this book? Well, let me see if Dan's covered it. And then if you don't give it such a hot review, I'm like, I'll push that one. Well, beware of spoilers. (laughs) There you go. So, guys, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And you can also find me on The 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky and things that you don't normally revolve around Star Trek, obviously. So, um, from The Hobbit to Bond to Star Wars and everything in between, uh, you can find me there. And of course, you also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.